Yeah? I can see. Hmm? We're relatively small compared to other countries. And a quarter of them open 24 hours. 24? Why would you need a McDonald's at 5 in the morning? Why wouldn't you need one at 5 a.m. in the morning? Well, because because you should be sleeping. If I was up at 5 a.m. in the morning, that would be the first place I'd go. What <laughs> wouldn't it? You'd, would you go in your pajamas? Who hasn't done that? Oh, well, well, why do people go? Why do people go to supermarkets in their pajamas? That is weird. I have to admit, that is very weird. I don't with, know why. With no shame. To be fair, I used to do a paper round, right, with my pajamas on, underneath, with me bra on top of my pajamas, with me coat on. <laughs> why would you put your bra on top of your pajamas? Because my boobs didn't feel supported, and I felt like it needed to be done. Well, that's just emphasising it more. By the way, my boobs are not supported, so I'm going to put a bra on just so you can see it. No, I had me caught over the top. Oh, well that makes all the difference, It does! It? Honest to God, I never felt so safe. You might as well have put a flashing light above your head. Should've. I was only 14 at the time. <laughs> oh yeah? Mm -hmm. Oh, your first job? My first job was a paper round. Your first job was what? A paper round. Is that a job? I should it is. Are you telling me a paper round is not a job? How much did you get? Twenty-one pounds. Did you? I only got seven fifty. But you're a lot older than me, Stevie. So yeah. Seven fifty would have been like you. a lot of money by then. <laughs> Why do people never indicate anymore? And I'm Stevie B. He's a Magum. And she's from South Shields. And this is the very first Speak Up Sunland, a weekly podcast that is about you. If you live in Sunland and you've <laughs> got stories to share... What? Don't, don't laugh about Sunland. <laughs> this will be very short, mind. <laughs> if you live in Sunland and you've got stories to share, then this is your podcast. Or if you are listening from outside of Sunland, hi! Hello! Here is what's happening in our little British city by the sea. <laughs> Oh, don't start singing, man. I know. Listen, every week, this is what we do. We look at what's happening in and around Sunland and what's getting people tartin'. So today, since it's Sunland's International Air Show this weekend... There's also the centenary, which is 100 years since the beginning of the RAF. So we've hoied ourselves in Stevie's car, went through the KFC drive through and checked out the North East Land, Sea and Air Museums. Can you believe the air shows this weekend, man? I can, but I'm still unhappy. Why? Because we went through to KFC. Have you seen the state of my car now? Did I buy you one? It's like a bin for the KFC. Did I buy you one? Did you buy us one? Yeah. Is that why you're unhappy? I'm not now. Oh. Because <laughs> I forgot you bought us one, but it's still a bin. Ungrateful. And it smells of KFC bin. Ungrateful! Anyway. How far were we away from the, uh... the airport? Aye. Oh, 20 seconds. Are we? Mm. How, oh. How are we feeling about it? I think judging by what's coming up with the Airshow and it being a centenary, uh, I'm really interested in how important this is to them as a local airport, to them as their history um, and how big, I'll be interested as to what their opinion's going to be on how important the Airshow is to them and to the region and to Sunderland in particular. Do you think if I ask nicely they'll let us go on air? Go on air? Yeah. What do you mean on air? In the air? In the air. It's not on air, is it? Oh, in the air, man. In the air? Lumia in the air. They can't just suddenly hire you in a plane and take it up in the sky, you know? It's not like a vending machine. It's so cool if they could, though, isn't it? What do you think they're going to hire you up in? A catapult or something? I would totally let them. Do you think there's a plane waiting for you just to go up? I would. <laughs> I would let them take me up anywhere. Oh, but your head's just so full of like sponge and stuff like that. Because it's, it's, it's not sponge, it's you Skittles. Should, you shouldn't go and do an interview before you've had loads of Skittles. 
It's how I function in life, man. You should know this by now. Oh, I know it happens. This is day one. I wouldn't survive day ten. So this is the aircraft museum now. We're going to pull up in now. It's only took about 20 minutes to get here. I went because, the scenic route. Because Stevie got lost. No, it wasn't. They, they closed the road off and they didn't Whatever, Stevie. I think you just wanted to have a peek at the new cars in this and that's why. Don't even lie, look at your face. You can't even say it out. <laughs> no, it's because the expression on my face is it's pointless having a conversation with you because I won't win. It's like being married. He's learning now, isn't he? Yes. Hmm. Don't argue with women because you'll never win. Exactly. Even when you're wrong, you're right. No, no. Even when you're right, you're wrong. Yep. But either way, it doesn't matter, does either it? Either way, it's the same outcome. Yes, it is. Yes, I think it's down here, isn't it? Well, you should hope so. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go in and we're going to see a guy called, was it John Spelling? John Spelling, yeah. It was John Spelling. <laughs> Who, when I got off the phone to him, <clears throat> was in the middle of making a oh, bomber. Yes. Oh, that's a nice number. Um <laughs> Making a bomber? Beatness to see which aircraft he's going to do with it. That's it there. Maybe be. Uh, oh. Just went straight past it. For God's sake, Stevie. Well, I can't multitask. Apparently, can I? As apparently, do you need to tell me? I'm going to do. As we're going to go straight into the bushes. I'm going to do handbrake ten if you didn't shoot your gob. So, yeah, this is a uh, Speak Up Sunland podcast number one. <laughs> Stranded in the middle of nowhere. And it started in the bushes. On a walk home. And I we're quit. here. And we're oh my god, we made it. You just think we could have went in your car? You wouldn't have fit in. <laughs> I would like I'd be clinging onto the top. <sighs> right, okay, but seriously, like we thought we'd go in, we really need to get this sorted. But we made it. Somehow, Stevie. <laughs> so we went into the hangar. And the hangar was actually massive full of different artifacts of stuff land <laughs> and of, air full of hangar stuff hangar, hangar stuff like aeroplanes and buses and it was do you know what it is it was brilliant i mean I, obviously it's nostalgic when you go in but when you actually see the vehicles there and the work that they've done in there as well it's the history that's in that hangar which is quite yeah like interesting but they all look so new and mm. so well kept i so mean well because it is a museum they do have to be maintained mm. but if you physically talk to the people that work there it is absolutely amazing what is actually in front of you. Which is what we did. There's a lot of history down uh, on this site, though. It's got a massive amount of history, which hopefully we'll find out soon. Hi. I'm John. Hi. Hello, Hi, are you John? John? Yeah. Nice to meet you. I'm Betty. Hi, John. Steve. And so, Steve. Nice so, we are doing a podcast called Speak Up Sunderland, and obviously, it is the air show coming up and the 100 years of the REF, and we thought of no better place to come and see you guys. We're standing on what used to be. I suppose in the First World War would be North Hilton Airfield, or Aerodrome as they were called in them days. Mm. It was opened in 1916 to fly anti-Zeppelin patrols against the Zeppelin bombers coming over the northeast coast. And during the Battle of Britain, the squadron was actually flying its hurricane fighters from here in defence of the, the northeast. Wow. And after the Battle of Britain, it became a major training base for training fighter pilots, then night fighter pilots. In the 1950s, reopened as a navigational training base. So there's a lot of history in Sunderland A lot then. of history of the RAF being in Sunderland, right from the early days. In its day as well, this used to be a really quite large-scale airport as well, wasn't it? It became Sunderland Airport in 1962 when the RAF moved out. Uh, most of the So in the middle of this hangar, there was this huge plane, proper impressive. It's not that massive though, is it, Stevie? Oh God, it's all about size, man, isn't it? It's pretty small. <laughs> yeah, but bear in mind, this plane... Uh, <laughs> it's how you use it. 
See, you put us right off, haven't you? <laughs> this plane that we've come to see, it's a replica of the Marine Sonja, flown by a Sunderland pilot in the First World War. And you couldn't tell it's been made mostly by a bunch of young people. It is really impressive. I can't saw, and they just did an entire plane. It is really, really spectacular. And if you want to come and have a look, you need to get yourself down to the air show because it will be there, full force, with the kids. Unreal. Tiny space in the in the cockpit as well, isn't it? It is. We have a, a bit of a problem, actually. None of us can fit it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not in the tent. The average height in them days, the high tall person was actually five foot eight. <laughs> I'm uh, a giant. <laughs> you wouldn't fit. No. No. Uh, we had a one of the cadets who was about six foot two, yes, tried yeah. to get in and his well, knees were covered. <laughs> but it is actually made to scale, so... Could you imagine, like you say, put yourself in the perspective of when this is actually in air and you are fighting, how terrifying that actually would be? Well, I, I have yeah. to say that once we started to do this and we made the basic fuselage structure with a seat and I was able to sit in it because it wasn't on its wheels, it had no covering and I sat in this thing and my respect for... First World War fighter pilots just went off the scale. I couldn't believe that people were sitting in this kind of structure at five, six thousand feet hunting for the enemy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, we didn't use this one in the oh, that was Brian, by the way. Flight Lieutenant Brian Adgar. You got his name right this time, did you? I'm going to hit you in a minute. Hi, my name's uh, Flight Lieutenant Brian Adgar. I'm a member of the Royal Air Force Air Cadets and I run the Air Cadet Unit, which is next to the Northeast Aircraft Museum. We could have just used that in the first place. We've got one for John too. John Spelling? John Stelling! <laughs> Hi, I'm John Stelling. I'm the honorary curator at the North East Land Scene Air Museum, uh, looking after all the collection. See, it's totally Stelling. I was saying that all along. No. So in terms of, of a project, both for our cadets, for our restoration club, for the, the, the aircraft museum itself, it's an absolutely fabulous asset. It's very it's much a, like a Sunderland project, this does because I'm listening that not, not much of it's gone out of Sunderland, it's kept right oh, in oh, Sunderland, yeah, yeah, it? It's very much so. local. Yeah. Uh, Sunderland College, Sunderland the Research. It does go out on a regular basis. It's been all over the country. In fact, it's been out of the country, hasn't it, John? It's been, been all over the house. Really? Uh, and everybody who sees it just goes, that's astonishing, it's, it's like a work of art. It's almost a shame to cover it because inside it's, it's fabulously constructed. Um, so it's been a real collaborative effort between uh, a number of, of groups, including the, the, the college who was initially yeah, going Sunderland, to be involved. Sunderland College got involved in doing some uh, fabrication work with the metal side of it. Uh, the undercarriage and the, the forward fuselage is metal, so they got involved in actually doing the, the welding, the, the front bits together, so the college has been involved. Again, we're trying to get as much use involved. It's been funded by the National Lottery, Heritage Lottery Fund, and that was one of the things is we, we needed to get the youth involvement. See if we can get a look inside the cockpit. Now, now, behave. I don't want to touch over the ship after I know how hard the children have been working. Look at that stitching, oh, actually. Because yeah. you, you look at an aircraft and you just yeah. assume it's, there's, there's metal. That's just bits of wood. There's a metal square inside of there, but that's just wood with a uh, wooden format to take the shape to make it round. This particular aircraft was known as a bullet because it was round bullet shaped and it was actually from a 1914 racing aeroplane. Uh, in 1915 they stuck a machine gun on the front and uh, made it into a fighter. It wasn't a successful fighter but it was the first fighter. So anyways, John Stelling was telling us a story about Claude Ridley, the guy who flew this plane, the Moraine Sonia, and what happened in the war. Well he was at Sandhurst becoming an officer and learning to fly on his own expense. 
1915, he went out to France as a pilot, uh, got wounded in combat with two German aeroplanes, uh, he got wounded in the foot, and while he was at home, just after he was recovering to get starting to fly again, he took an aeroplane up at night uh, to try and intercept the Zeppelin bomber. That time you had no instruments, no night flying aids, you just went up in the pitch black and unreliable aeroplanes. He actually intercepted the Zeppelin that was lit up by a searchlight, so he fired at it, but the searchlight lost it, so he lost it. Then a few minutes later, it was lit up again, and the anti-aircraft shot it down. But for his efforts in going up at night, he got the military cross. Oh, fabulous. We've got a photograph of him sitting in this particular aeroplane we've made a replica of. They were the fighter defence for the, the Battle of the Somme. So he was flying over the Somme battlefields. Fairly primitive aeroplane, hard to fly. Uh, but was an effective fighter because it was the first aircraft to have a machine gun firing through the propeller. So war pilot Claude was then tasked with flying a two-seater aeroplane and sneaking in a British spy behind the enemy lines. But it didn't quite work out for him. And when he landed, he couldn't get his engine to start again. The spy and Claude damaged the aeroplane so it couldn't be used. They couldn't set fire to it because it would alert the Germans. But they made their escape and he spent three months behind the German lines with false papers provided by the spy. And then, after three months sneaking around Germany, he was arrested and put on a tram. So he just punched the policeman, jumped off the tram and ran away. Nice <laughs> <laughs> subtle way of doing it, didn't it? He clearly had a fascinating life. Would you have uh, the confidence to knock out a policeman if you were in the war? I wouldn't have the confidence to knock out a traffic warden, to be honest. Uh, we were coming along with some of the cadets from 2214 Squadron, who mm-hmm. helped us in the build. Uh, they are actually working on the, the other one of the wings to get it ready for the air show. Oh, so how did they get involved? Uh, well, the whole idea of the project was to get youth involved in it. Mr Radgar here is the squadron CEO of the, the unit and he jumped at the chance to get the youngsters involved in it. Over a year working on the project and getting involved. I think they really find it useful. It's been an absolutely marvellous project. And we're talking about youngsters who are 13, 14, 15 who have been involved with it for about a year. That's constru- amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So is this a so I was proper psyched about it. I really wanted to meet the younger cadets who brought this Marine Sonia replica together. We didn't have long with them, mind, and they let us have 15 minutes because we were going to a party. And Stevie, they were proper fascinating little dudes. Were they in like the full cadet uniform as well? No, they were just really switched on and they right. were not the stereotype of youngsters that we hear today. So that are really, really interesting. Did you feel quite proud when you left? I did. I also said to Lieutenant Adgar, if I ever have kids, I'm shoving them to him because they are that good. They were really, really are credit to the community in Sunderland. What I've been told is you guys have been part of a project of building an aeroplane. I've been at the start of the building of the plane since day one. And what I've done is I've helped with the ribs of the plane and building the wing and the cloth. And when the plane, like if there's something happening like an air show or an event, the, when the plane goes, the cadets who dress up as Royal Flying Corps engineers go. And I've done that quite a lot. So, like, at the air show last year, the plane was there. I've been there working on the plane, talking to the public, telling people about the plane and the pilot who flew it. What I helped was the seat of the plane, the wings and the rib of the plane. Um, it was a fantastic experience that all of us are happy to be like going through as we're still in the process of it. Um, last year, when we went to the air show as well, I managed to sit in the plane because I'm the smallest person and I was able to sit in there and act like a pilot of the plane. So that was a fantastic achievement as well. It's been tough so far with the plane. I've 
helped build the wing with the ribs as well as the cloth that goes over the wing, kind of like a blanket. It was kind of difficult trying to line them up. And I'm pretty sure the wing that the museum built was longer than ours. The plane itself, obviously it's all self-made and things, and it is right back from the beginning. What's it like being in the cockpit? I mean, is it big? Is it small? Is it congested? Or is it like free-flowing and you can just spread out? Um, it's really small, like you you would expect it because it is a, like quite a small plane, quite uh, petite. Um, but there is like room that you can like move and you can touch all of the controls that we've made as well. So that is quite good. See, but I'm like I'm five foot ten and stand up. You must be about five foot two, five foot three. Yeah. <laughs> so you are petite, so if probably if you're the the pilot. It's probably the best shape for you. I would look ridiculous because I am far too tall and far too gangly. But how did you get into the cadets? Because it's not something you hear about all the time. When I found out about cadets, my dad was like, because I joined the army cadets at first and my dad was telling me how I should go into the air cadets since I want to join the air force. And once he told me about that, I was like, I want to come down. And as soon as I came down for the first two nights, I was a bit shy. But then when we started doing like leadership activities, I opened up a bit more. And then I got more confident with myself, which made me want to stay because obviously I made new friends, I've got new qualifications. And now I've done a lot of things with cadets, such as I went in the camp last year that I've really thoroughly enjoyed that and made about 20 new friends. And next month I'm going on a camp to RF Spade Adam, where hopefully I'll make new friends, learn new skills. And during my time at cadets, I've done a lot of parades, a lot of community events. I've talked to the community quite a lot. Um, when Remembrance Day comes up, I go into school, I do like assemblies, I just show respect to the forum. It's so refreshing to hear that like, youth, I call you youth, bless you, youth are so heavily involved in things like that because the stereotype of youth these days is behind a phone, behind a PC, behind a PS4, on your phone, social media, everything they shouldn't be, and they're not outside and it's really refreshing to meet three youngsters that are doing this and are being the face of the community and the face of the RAF. Over the years there's been an awful lot of cadets come through the squadron, other squadrons I've been involved in. We've got something like 1,500 cadets in the northeast, and they're all like this. They're switched on young people who have somewhere they want to go, something they want to be when they've finished school or college, and we help them along the way. And it, it gives me a great deal of pleasure a, to, to instruct them. But I also get pleasure from bumping into people who've been cadets years ago. And they tell me about the careers they've had, either civilian careers or military careers. And I think, you know, I, I had a part in that. And it's, it's very, very good. I think for me, for me personally, um, is it, just to hear that kids of, of that, that age, to be involved in mm. this as, as a museum and airport, but then that as a project is just... Yeah. Just, you don't hear it that often. It's outstanding. It's it's something that Sunderland should be proud of because you always hear the stereotype of kids, oh, he never leaves the PS4, oh, she never leaves the computer, she never puts yeah, down never that goddamn phone. And you go, no, 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 come down here, blow your mind. In the northeast, and we offer everything from basic education about how, how aeroplanes work, how they're flown, how they're operated, how they're made. Adventure training, going out camping, canoing, climbing. Cheapest babysitting you can get, really. So I stick, <laughs> stick them in the uniform and bung them on an RAF station for you. But they learn how the RAF works, they learn to live with the RAF for you. But they learn discipline as well, that's Well, the they thing. get discipline at the squadron. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so these kids, these teenagers, we've got 
cadets Ewan Todd, Cadet Lewis Dinsdale and Cadet Corporal Katrina Madison. Uh, she's been promoted? I know she was lush. I really, to be fair, all of them were superstars in their own way. But I was really proud of uh, Katrina because she was spot on. Well, you chuck- could tell she was just switched on and she was so proud hmm. that she'd been promoted to corporal. She didn't think she was going to do it and she did. So Bless I her. asked them about why they wanted to be air cadets in the first place. Hi, my name's Ewan and I'm in the Royal Air Force Air Cadets because I want to learn a new set of skills that could help me through life. Hi, my name's Katrina. The reason why I'm in the Royal Air Force Air Cadets is because I would like to be in the RAF as a medic since I love first aid. Hi, my name's Lewis and I'm in the Royal Air Force Air Cadets because I want a career in the Air Force, hopefully as a mover in the logistics trade. And I've learned quite a lot of things during my time in cadets. You don't have to join the RAF as well. You don't have to join the forces. You get loads of opportunities and you can do like qualifications that will help you with a career that isn't like especially for the RAF or the armed forces so just do it (laughs) don't even be afraid to join like just come down and say I'm wanting to join just if you've got like a medical medical condition like diabetes which is what I've got don't let that stop you Mm -hmm. because with me having diabetes I won't be able to go into the Royal Air Force but I'm still pushing myself through the cadets because it's the closest that I'm going to get to it so with that, all I just do is push myself through it and just think, I'm glad that I've done this. I'm glad that I've joined the Air Cadets. I'm glad that I've made all these friends and I'm meeting new people. I'm just No, I'm just taken back because you just assume diabetes is what you get when you're older than a cadet. But what he said was, because he has diabetes, you'll not be able to have a job in the Royal Air Force and that still hasn't stopped him because mm. he's still gained all that knowledge, all of that experience and credit to him See, because it I will love. help him in future. Might not necessarily be the RAF, but he has got all those skills from being a Royal Air Cadet. This is what I love when you when you speak to younger people that, that inspire you at that age. It's just brilliant. That, to have that type of spirit just makes you think, you know what, my life isn't that bad. So if you could say anything to anyone about thinking about joining the RAF... What would you say? I'd say do it, definitely, because it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. I've made new friends, I've got new experiences, as well as qualifications. I've earned a radio communications qualification through the cadets, so I can use a radio. It's not all about static, it's not all about discipline. It's There's some aspects of it where there is discipline incorporated into it, but it's the activities that you do, you can get everywhere you can go up and down the country you can go to overseas you can go to cyprus such as RAF akaturi you can go to RAF gibraltar i would just say reach out for everything that gets given to you if you do join the cadets uh, loads of opportunities will be given to you such as for me i've been to a core for first aid which is basically one of the best achievements i've like had I've reached the rank of corporal, which I wasn't expecting, so I'm just happy about that, showing that leadership qualities. <laughs> also, flying has been one of my main activities that I've done. Uh, in a grub tutor, you get to do aerobatics, which is one of the best things that you can do, and you can do it yourself, which is a good thing. What on earth is aerobatics? <laughs> so there's certain movements that you can do in a plane, such as a barrel roll, which 
I'm sure one of these lads will be able to tell you more about it. Is that a spin? Is that one of those things where you see the plane go wee and everyone goes huh? <laughs> what a bar roll is, is that you turn the plane, you roll the plane to each side, left or right, and you just roll it. So like you do a little flip. It's what a bar roll is. I love how you say it. A little flip. <laughs> stall turn. And just stall turns when... What a stall turn is, is you pull the plane back so it goes vertical and then it stalls and then you move this the control column either way to the left or right and the plane just falls and it's, I've done that when I went flying it's quite fun it's nerve wracking but it's fun so it's definitely stomach wrenching yeah. It's but it, just to clarify it does get easier with time so the the more you go up on air the more you turn the more you do these weird moves and defy gravity and make sure your tea stays down it does get easier and I'm guessing the adrenaline must be insane yeah, I mean, the first time that you do it, you're nervous. You get shown a, a video about how you can have safety and what to do if the plane was to have a failure. But that is thrown to the back of your mind, especially when you, you've got a beautiful view of, like, the RAF base, the everything. I mean, our young lady there, um, what she's come out with tonight is, is the epitome of what cadets are all about. She's putting herself out there. He's putting himself out there, he's putting himself out there and not afraid to put his hand up and say, yes, I'll have a crack at that. I will join in. Yeah, because that's just like a secret organisation that nobody knows anything about. Everybody knows about scouts, but don't know what air cadets have got to offer and it's amazing. Yeah. Sounds very cool. Very, very cool. I'm so impressed. I really am. <laughs> Is that an absolute credit? It's just nice to see youth that actually really care. I'm so pleased. I love Sunderland. It's great. <laughs> Probably now is a good time to introduce another guest on this <coughs> dramatic first episode of Speak Up Sunderland. Hi, and her name is Jane Gulliford Laws. And did you know her son is an air cadet too? No way. Well, I have an 18 year old son, Marcus, who is an RAF air cadet, and he is considering joining the RAF um, as a career. Um, he's been an air cadet since the age of 13 and has had some wonderful experiences with cadets who have basically transformed his life and have given him so many opportunities. And I'm hopeful that he will follow in his great-great-uncle Jack's footsteps and pursue a career in the RAF. Whoa, whoa. Context. Slow down. Okay, great-great-uncle Jack? Jane's second book, the one she's working on at the moment, is about her great-uncle and his experiences as part of Bomber Command, the RAF's bomber forces in the Second World War. Oh, I like the title, Above Us, The Stars. That's the hardest thing of writing a book, is thinking the title. Because believe me, when you come to write about the Second World War, every title you can possibly think of has already been done. It's very, very difficult. So Above Us, The Stars. I was trying to think about the experience of the uh, the population who had been bombed out, like like my grandparents and also the experience of the the RAF air crews Um, and it just suddenly came to me that uh, one evening um, the people in scene who'd been bombed out literally they were stood in the shells of their houses looking up with no roofs on all above them was the stars and it was the same for Jack and the air crew you know when you're flying at 20,000 feet what's above you the stars oh we've got another one of those intro-y things if you want get on then I'm Jane Gulliford Lowe's. I'm a writer from Seam in County Durham and I concentrate on writing non-fiction and especially upon the history of the North East and County Durham in particular. I was born 25 years after the end of the war, which seemed like, you know, 
a lifetime away as far as I was concerned. But because the memory was so strong um, still for my grandparents, obviously my grandmother had had her husband and her brother serve, um, and for, for my grandfather and, and my uncle, the memories were still so strong. And they used to talk about it all the time. And their memories became my memories. Their history became my history. And it formed such an enormous part of my childhood growing up and has had such a massive influence on my life. Um, even though it was something which happened so long before I was born. I was lucky enough to know Jack um, right through my childhood and teens. He passed away um, when I was um, about 17 in 1987. Jack was a very quiet man. He was a quiet hero. He never spoke about his experiences during the Second World War, despite the fact that he served a full tour with Bomber Command and was awarded the Distinguished Flying Medal for his service. He was always a hero in our family, but as I say, he never ever spoke about what he'd achieved and what he'd done. Maybe because he didn't want to, maybe because he couldn't. A lot of them simply couldn't talk about what they'd been through, and I think that may well be part of it. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell his his story. I wanted to explore what his experiences had been, what he'd gone through, and what he and his colleagues had endured. I'm fortunate enough that I have Jack's logbooks, I have all of his paperwork, I have all of his photographs of him with all of his crew. Every little detail is there, which forms a wonderful basis for writing a book and telling his story. And then fitting that into the more general historical context, I think, looking to see what else was going on in the war at that time, but also not forgetting um, the civilian experience. Um, that's one of the things I wanted to bring out in the book, is what was going on in Jack's hometown? What were his family going through while he was flying over Germany? What was their day-to-day -day experience of just living through the war? And that's a, a balance which I'm trying to, to create and, and to bring out through the book. I'm not so much interested in the historical facts and figures, although they do have a role. I wanted it more to be the human story of, of what was going on at that time. And I think because it, it's family, um, I think I can bring quite a, an emotional element to those historical facts and figures and that's what I'm aiming to do. And we wish Jane Gulliford Laws all the best with writing Above Us, The Stars, her second book, the memoir of her great uncle. But of course the Second World War had such a massive impact on this area. Uh, the ripples of the war still affect us to this day. What happened in the Second World War reshaped the city. The city as we see it now is as a result of what happened in the Second World War. There was massive destruction of the, of the docks and of the port, um, of the shipyards, of the local surrounding um, coal mining areas, and also of the civilian population as well. And I think it's so important to keep alive the memories of not also the, the military um, contribution of those who served, but also of the civilian population, the people who were working in the shipyards, the people who were working in the steel furnaces, the people who were working in the coal mines, because without them, there was no war effort. The war could not have been won without them. And I think it's important to keep their memory alive as well as the memory of those who served. See, that's the great thing about the Sunderland International Air Show and the 100th centenary of the RAF. It's keeping history alive. Because it happened, and it happened to people like you and like me. Say I was born 100 years ago today. I might have been fighting in the Second World War. And you would have, and I would have been bombed back home, eh? Would I? Uh. So what does it mean to you for 100 years of the RAF? That must have some very strong I importance to yourself. On the television, um, the fly past that they had in London. And I have to say, I was in tears 
watching this absolutely fabulous fly past the uh, the RAF forming the the numerals 100 uh, before the uh, before the whole event ceased, and I thought it was just fantastic that it's still on the go. And I think, uh, in terms of uh, security for this country, we need uh, mm. services. And I have a great deal of respect for those who spend time in the services. I've particularly enjoyed the RAF 100 celebrations, which have been going on over the last uh, month or so. You may have all seen the fabulous flypast in the Mall in London with the 100 aircraft, going right back to the very origins of the RAF, right up to the fantastic lightnings and aircraft that they have at the moment. I think it's really important to celebrate the contribution of the RAF, not just in the Second World War and indeed in the First World War, but for the defence of the country right up to the present date. They are pretty much unseen these days. You know, people tend not to think about it. Um, but I think it's very important that we celebrate their wonderful contribution over the years. I've got cadets who have been in the, are in the Royal Air Force, the Army, the Navy. I've even got one in submarines. And one of my ex-female cadets now works for NASA, so I have a, um, I'm very proud of what they're, they're able to achieve. How important would you say that the... the um the airshow that we've got here is to yourselves but also to to Sunderland and the region? Well air shows in general going back to the 30s I mean in here in the 30s at RAF Husworth you had the Empire A Day which was a massive in them days a massive air show but it was all biplanes that was used as recruiting for the RAF is to get people to know what aeroplanes were like some some youngsters would get the first glimpse of an aeroplane we even let in the aeroplanes on some of the you know which the RAF do down at the seafront now? We've been involved, certainly the air cadets have been involved with the, uh, the air show since day one. It brings a lot to the economy in the northeast. It gives people an opportunity to see lots and lots of different aeroplanes that they wouldn't otherwise see because there aren't any very large RAF stations immediately on our doorsteps like in some counties. It's a good bit of PR for the services, it's a good bit of PR for us, um, it's good PR for the region. Um, it's on a par, if not, obviously it's, it's bigger than the total ships race because there will be a couple of million people will come mm. to this thing over the weekend. Um, so well worthwhile keeping, keeping it going and certainly it does, it does a lot for the local infrastructure, I'm sure. Yes, I love the air show. I do try to get down whenever I possibly can. It's just a fantastic experience. It's so moving. Um, it's just a wonderful occasion, obviously hundreds of thousands of people tend to, to show out, particularly if it's good weather. I think it's a fantastic experience. I love to see the old aircraft, the Battle of Britain Memorial flight with its Lancaster and the Spitfire and the Hurricane, but also the modern aircraft too. And who doesn't love the Red Arrows? Everybody loves the Red Arrows. You cannot fail to be moved and stirred and be proud to be British when you see the Red Arrows. You would never really get this feeling unless you actually came down to the museum. It's all good and well talking about it, mm -hmm. but when you physically see it yeah. in person, then put yourself in that situation, that person's in, in that aeroplane, it is something else. And there's not much there to protect you. You've just got literally yourself and your mm -hmm. wit. And that in itself it makes me feel so proud about the Aria. Sure. Yeah, well, listen, thanks, thanks very much for your time. It's been... As I expected, really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe we can uh, come and see you after the air show. Yeah. And see what you think. Come along the air show and have a oh, we'll look at this assembled. Oh, yes, we will be there. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. be there. You'll find it a big crowd of people with a moraine in the middle of it. <laughs> and that's serious. It uh, attracts an amazing amount of interest from the public. That was insane. <laughs> that was just a total blast from the past. I mean, people, like I said, people 
think aeroplane oh i really want to fly an aeroplane why does nobody say i want to build an aeroplane these people know how to build an aeroplane what makes it even better is it's right here in sunderland there's, there's something um i think there's something very i don't mean on the ghost sense but something very spiritual in there it's it's real it's, it's really unique isn't it it's real in what it is it's the knowledge that's helped britain be britain and it's gonna get passed down and all you need to do is just literally come down to the aircraft museum mm. and it's all there you got two men there who pretty much dedicated their life to to what they're doing there i mean they've both spent the best part of 50 years of their working life there haven't they or involved with it it's insane it's absolutely insane and what makes it even better is they are taking youth and teaching them mm. things that are going to make them a better person in life which is not on on a phone it's not on a computer mm. it's not on a screen it's not behind a screen you can't download active. it yeah you can't do anything like that you've got to physically make it i mean they said about that little girl who never sewn anything in her life next yeah. thing you know she's just sewn half a plane but she's now going to be looking into different things associated with either the RAF or aircraft or or whatever but it's so refreshing that they do more than just fly and they say they go camping, they go archery, they go all these places that you didn't think or didn't think would happen in some of the day. I'm just buzzing that one, ain't me? Oh, and I kind of believe it's just at my doorstep. I, I think I think a lot of people are aware that it's there, but never think about going and hopefully. And if you're a medium, you can come down with one next and see if we're going to have a bit chat with the, uh, we, chat with the do, ghost. We've got to do the ghost trip, like. Yeah. We've got to do the ghost trip as, as, a, as a podcast. Because I think it will be hilarious anyway. But you're hilarious to listen to. Oh. Please don't have any more skittles. Um, hey, I was relatively calm on that one. <laughs> Metal detector people over there. Aye. In for a penny, in for a pound. You never know. Mm -hmm. It's like taking a lottery, isn't it? Shy Ben's getting out. I've had a metal detector years ago. I think I had it for about a month and never found anything and just got bored very quickly. Actually, no, I tell a lie. I found an old coin. Which just turned out to be an old coin. <laughs> It was a coin from like 10 years before. It was like an older... We had to, we both talk some rubbish, don't we? You talk some rubbish. Whoa, whoa, hang, how wait a minute. That was episode one of Speak Up Sunderland. And if you enjoyed our first podcast, why not give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you've listened to your podcast. The music is by Timecrawler82. The track is called Psalms and Seagulls. Not made by someone in Sunderland, but it might as well have been with all the seagulls all over the place. Hey, but if you do make music and you want your stuff on our podcast, get in touch. We'd love to play your stuff, talk about your music, feature you in the podcast. So, Betty, how do we get in touch? We're Speak Up Sun on Twitter. That's at Speak Up Sun. Sun like the glorious weather we're having. <laughs> i tell you what, you youth, man, you saw all this newfangled technology. Youth! Thanks to everybody we interview on our first episode, John Stelling. Stelling! <laughs> yes, I know. John Stelling from the North East Land, Sea and Air Museum. Freight Lieutenant Brian Adgar. And our proper inspiring young cadets, Katrina Mason, Lewis Dinsdale and Ewan Todd. And behind the scenes, our editor, GSI. Great, he loves us. He's regretting this. I think ever so slightly. I think he's going to grow. He's going <laughs> to age five years in like five months. Next week's episode, we're speaking to City Hearts. They are a charity helping victims of people trafficking find their feet again. And since it's World Day Against Trafficking in Persons next week, it's the next stop on the Speak Up Sunderland Tour. We have a tour bus? See you next week. Are you, you sure we have a tour you bus? You can't go from this, a tiny little car to your